Hello, I'm Bill Protzman, your moderator here on Gracearchy with Jim Babka. The Atlantic published a piece by a Brown University economist that has caused quite a stir on social media. It's called Amnesty. Essentially, it argues that we probably all behaved badly during the pandemic. Now we all just all need to forgive, forget, and move on. Well, for more than a decade, our host has been a second batter up on Think Tank Thursdays on The Gary Nolan Show. Gary Nolan routinely describes his role as an outside-of-the-box thinker. I resonate with that. I'm routinely surprised by the clear sense Jim expresses in our conversations. And Jim's take on The Gary Nolan Show posted this past Thursday, November 3rd, was an example of that. With gratitude to the Zimmer Radio Network, we're pleased to share it with you here. Jim and I will return at the end for a few minutes of additional questions and answers. Jim Babka is on. I'm not sure if he's begging for forgiveness, he's looking for amnesty, but we're going to find out. Jim, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay. So what is this amnesty deal? Well, there's an article in The Atlantic that's making the rounds. came out Monday. And it's been becoming a wide topic discussion on social media. And you may have even seen this discussion, not been aware of what its source was. The article is written by an economist at Brown University, and it suggests that we have an ollie-ollie income-free moment on COVID. We behaved badly. All of us behaved so badly during this pandemic. At moments, we were nasty and mean to each other, and we were doing it because we were caught in a state of ignorance and fear. And who could have known any better? And so everyone should uh, be allowed to come in, and we should put an end to all discussion, further discussion. Uh, in fact, there's not really much to be learned here except that we were all scared. And uh, we should just move on with life. We should uh, love one another again and just forget it all happened. Forgive and forget. It's, it's all over. There's, there's nothing to see here, nothing to learn. Well, And there's been some response to this. You have probably seen some posts on social media where people have said, you know, sorry, <laughs> I'm not going to let go. Well, what do you think? Should they? Well, I have on the show repeatedly, and I'm really glad you asked that question, uh, I have repeatedly said that we should have a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And I have suggested even further that the Republicans, and I'm glad that we are having this discussion literally on the last time you and I are going to talk before the uh, election next Tuesday, I have repeatedly suggested that the Republicans are as useless as you-know-what on bulls, as my father used to say, and they have to investigate what happened here. They have to get to the bottom and put the truth out to the public. And I am even in favor of some prosecutions. I think that there was severe duplicity in what did or did not happen in a certain lab in Wuhan and who was involved and how they were funded and how that was all covered up. Uh, I suspect that there was fraud in how the vaccines were sold to the American people. And there are clearly some policies that were pursued uh, that had deleterious effects on our economy and on our children. And I think and, and many of these codes and rules that they're asking us to forgive are still in place. So I think there should be a thoroughgoing review of this. And I have called repeatedly for a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The way this works is you start, you suggest we're going to do some prosecutions, but everybody that comes in out of the cold and confesses their sins will be pardoned and forgiven. And I would make very few exceptions to that. Now, I will tell you, I do think there are some people that can't, we cannot accept in this particular case. The most notable name is Anthony Fauci. 
Uh, he is at the he is at the center of both the Wuhan lab leak and the ability the fraudulent sale of the vaccines uh, to the country. And and uh, you know the, there are many Republicans suggesting that Randy Weingarten cannot be pardoned. Uh, she is the head of the uh, American Teachers Union, and uh, the the schools. The education system was a major propagation of the fear climate that we were experiencing, and, and the fear climate being so bad that the the people were posting openly their their loathing and hatred of Americans who were refusing last year to get their vaccinations. So, I, I, you know, maybe we, at the very top levels, we have to have some accountability. So, this testimony that would be gathered during the Truth and Reconciliation, where nearly everyone would be forgiven, would allow us a couple of people. To hold up to justice and to say, hey, look, we want to make sure that nobody misses this lesson. It's there for the rest of time. Uh, we create a taboo against using fear to manipulate and lie to the American people uh, in the midst of a pandemic. Jim, they just made a mistake. To err is human. Forgive divine. Well, I actually agree uh, with every everything you just said, uh, 101%. But this, if, if there, there was... It was possible to know better in this situation. There were voices that attempted to say better in this situation. And it is unforgivable to, to crush any and all voices of dissent in any way possible. It is wrong to scapegoat other humans uh, in, in order to advance your goals, to use coercion, violence, and force against them in a variety of ways to shut down their ability to dissent. And we cannot abide having that in our culture. The one thing that we cannot tolerate is this is, is the intolerance of the hum, of human liberty. So do you think that, for instance, the vaccines were pushed simply to make money? Uh, were, were they pushed to kill people or were they just erroneously pushed? Um, but in retrospect, it was just simply not a good idea. into their buildings. They complained about bad ventilation systems. 
which they knew would take a long time to install. They complained about the fact that there would actually be children in a school building, and they would be, you know, sometimes these kids would respect, you know, germs. They might, you know, rub up against each other, or they might come up and try to touch the teacher and touch the teacher's desk and who knows what else. And they said it was going to be impossible for them to come back to school, and they wanted to teach online. Uh, in fact, they weren't even sure they wanted to do that because then they started arguing that the kids weren't learning online. So they essentially wanted their checks and they didn't want to have to go to work. What a deal. And, and they believed in their heart, I mean, in the nastiest possible way that everybody who was not uh, in agreement with them on the danger of this virus and the need for the vaccine, you're evil. You're a bad person. Where was that coming from? Well, it's coming from the teachers' union. The teachers' union was stoking this this philosophy all along, and much later than the rest of the country was waking up. So the idea that they couldn't have known, or they didn't know, or nobody told them, it was because they were suppressing people in social media, for example. The social media titans participated in an attempt to stamp out any dissent. I want to say, it wasn't misinformation that they were all just stamping out. They stamped out any dissent. The lab leak, just take that as the example. We weren't, it was a point at which if you brought it up, if you raised the subject, you could be banned from Twitter. And the, the idea that we just couldn't discuss something that was, should have been debatable. Like, this is the point. Everything should always be debatable. Everything you believe should be subject to debate. If you believe anything that can't be subject to debate, gosh, you're putting yourself, you're setting yourself up and everybody around you for real trouble. Well, I think uh, whatever I say is gospel, but, you know, other people, uh, we can debate what they believe. I've met Gwen, and I'm sure she doesn't agree. (laughs) My question, Jim, is if we do what you said in the last segment, holding them accountable, uh, even if you don't punish them, bring them in, uh, get them to confess their sins, which really sounds kind of creepy, but okay. What will that do the next time there's some kind of an epidemic do you think that it would seriously make people think twice about you know turning on the fear there's so much in your question i don't know i almost don't know where to begin um first on the creepiness aspect the south africans when the government changed and the apartheid ended, they did not uh, use prosecutions to the full extent of law for the various crimes, real crimes against the human beings that have been committed. I mean, there were people who had, you know, murdered people in pretty heinous ways or raped or pillaged and done different things under the apartheid regime that uh, they came out, they sat down, they said, here's all the things we did. And as long as they made a full accounting for the things that they did in front of the commission, they were not prosecuted. They were not, they were not convicted. So I'm drawing a line between accountability and punishment here just to be clear. Second, the answer is that uh, humans are very imperfect. Situations change and special pleading always ensues. And unfortunately, all of us are born very young. So what I mean by that is we don't necessarily know what people knew 20 years ago. So, you know, there are people who are born now, being born, uh, who are adults now, who weren't alive on 9-11. And so some of the lessons there have been lost. Clearly, we've lost a lot of the lessons that we all knew in the 1990s, when uh, the early 1990s, when communism was lifted. I mean, the people that were alive to remember that event, remember what communism was and the threat of nuclear war that existed and all the rest of it. 
and there's a whole generation now that has revived socialism and even communism as, as a viable systems uh, they, that are, should be at the table as part of the dialogue when we knew that communism was on the ash heap of history before. So this solution's imperfect. It has to be. But it is actually a solution. History tells us things. It helps us understand the world in which we live in those times when we don't have you know, complete information yet. Your knowledge of history will help you avoid making mis- new mistakes because there are patterns to things. Are the patterns perfect? No. History only rhymes with certain events. It doesn't necessarily repeat itself. And to the degree that we can get established historically and, and at the highest possible levels that what happened here was wrong, how this was handled was wrong, there's an irony to this whole story. The article that we're discussing in The Atlantic was written by an economist. And I argued at the very beginning of this thing that there were not enough economists at the table. We were listening too much to doctors and virologists and, 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 and people who make models of pandemics. We were not less necessarily listening to economists. But economists, unfortunately, left the store. Uh, They basically wanted to, in in an attempt to be relevant, they basically reinforced everything that we were being told. The key to economics, the economics of one lesson, the most important lesson is you have to take account all of the effects on all of the participants involved. And they didn't do that. They were very narrowly focused on just trying to stamp out uh, COVID. Uh, which was a fool's errand from the get-go. There were reasons to understand that scientifically. And uh, the result has been catastrophic. They took a bad situation, a really horrible situation, and found a way to make it worse through central planning. And I would conclude by saying, we had no idea that central planning was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who, who'd have thunk it? Um, by the way, I, I had a conversation yesterday <clears throat> with a Florida Surgeon General and uh, we talked about uh, that, that vaccine. And I've got a question that he couldn't answer. He's also a research uh, scientist, too. You know, they keep telling us that uh, we have to get a booster. If you had the shot, you want to be immunized, you get the shot again, you keep getting boosters. But at the same time, I keep hearing this never goes away. That spike protein stays in your system forever. If it stays in my system forever, why would I need a booster? And if it does go away, um, well, then I'm then I would actually feel better because I, I I got three of those shots. Uh, just an aside, I was thinking about that as you were talking. Uh, we may uh, we may never get the answers to some of these questions, but you're right. Some people should be held accountable. But will that really change things in the future, Jim? I don't think so. I think yeah, we have. I think I think all of these things is, works in a ratchet effect kind of way. We try to wake people up gradually to the things that are happening. And yes, there's new generations born, and it's hard to repeat the stories and get everybody to understand. But there is a there is a ratchet effect to these things. There is a degree of resistance, an uh, immunization, if you will, that's built into the social fabric. Uh, we definitely want to have this out there. We want to do the best we can to get this information out there. And we want it to be adopted at the highest levels possible because it does help resist. It doesn't prevent disease, but it helps resist if you'll allow me to borrow from our from the people who have behaved badly. Uh, the way immunization properly works is it helps resist uh, future events. We don't know that the vaccine in this particular case does that, but uh, in general, that's how vaccines are supposed to work. He, by the way, said... They long since had studies on the ineffectiveness of masks, 
They had long since done studies and knew how ineffective social distancing was. Uh, uh, before the pandemic even started, the World Health Organization had a policy, a, a well-articulated scientific policy against lockdowns. Yep. They knew this stuff didn't work. Uh, and they and did yet- it anyway. And, and the lockdown, by the way, the, the, the thing we got out of that deal was Joe Biden. He didn't have to campaign for president. He could sit uh, offset. He didn't have to go anywhere. He didn't have to explain why nobody was showing up to his shows. He didn't have to answer questions. He didn't have to make public appearances. Uh, gosh, can you imagine if he had to actually campaign that summer, what would have happened to, to the Democratic Party? Yeah, well, you know, there are. I mean, at some point where they, where, you know, did you have the teachers union rooting for not going to work and getting paid anyway? Did you have the, the Democratic National Committee going, crap, we don't want this guy out on the campaign trail? I mean, on and on it goes. How many different people were sitting there with some other interests, not just COVID related, that they were using the force of the state to impose so that they could advance their own personal goals? Well, we definitely need to investigate. And by the way, I think Rand Paul will in the Senate. Um, and I think Fauci is uh, like ground zero for Rand Paul. Yeah, and, and, and I, I'm wholeheartedly in support of that. What I don't want to see happen uh, in most cases is punishment. I want to see healing. I want to see not just the truth. I also want to see the reconciliation. I don't want to turn this into a bitter you know, feud where people are, are motivated to lie or cover or they're raised up into the status of martyr because they were punished. I would rather we find ways to diffuse this situation without leaving the truth out, putting the truth on the record, exposing it to the entire public. Egos will stop. Bigger, Egos will a much get bigger it. deal than January 6th has been. Egos will get in your way. They, do you really think Fauci wants to go on national television and admit? Well, he's somebody that probably has to be prosecuted. Honestly, I mean, he's at the nexus of this whole thing. He is both at the nexus of its origins and the cover up of those origins. And then he did a full reversal on some of the things you just mentioned. He was not a mask guy until it was politically uh, expedient to be so. He changed his mind on that. Why did he change his mind? What were his motivations? I, I just, you know, <laughs> uh, he, he's, he seems particularly culpable here. And so the evidence we gather from below, like we do in most criminal cases, can be used to prosecute him in the end. All right. Jim Babka, uh, Grace Arkey on YouTube. Watch the videos. They're informative. They're entertaining. They're easy to watch. I, I literally, I enjoy them. Jim, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Gary. All right, buddy. Take care. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. So, Jim, I listened to the episode, and the one thing that was curious to me was how strongly you advocated for punishing the right people, like Dr. Ouchie, I like to call him. There are people who are responsible here and deserve to be sort of like exposed for their motives and intentions. But that didn't sound very graceful to me. So can you help us like discipline and punishment? And let's go back through all of that again and and just kind of like revisit the need we have to identify what happened, but to not make a scapegoat out of the people who are involved. I think it's almost inevitable that scapegoating will happen. Yeah. And one of the things that we should be seeking to do is to minimize it. And so to the degree that we can minimize the number of people who are actually held responsible and accountable uh, to the select few who are kind of at the top of this entire thing, we could uh, create a large national sense of healing and restoration. 
uh, I would like to minimize that as much as possible. But we still have to acknowledge that in our day, in our world today, we need a scapegoat in order to be able to get past it all. Uh, it's probably the case. Um, I would prefer not to label the people. And, and there's some my, people might say I'm cheating here. I would prefer not to label, and you brought up Anthony Fauci as a potential scapegoat. And the reason I would want to do that is that there is there are still facts and controversy that we can bring into evidence. And, and if everybody testifies and tells what their role is and what they were, let's just give an example. There was a phone call that happened in early February after there were some people who had done some sequencing. They had looked at the at at, at uh, uh, the virus and they had suggested that there we had a problem. And one of the individuals involved in that discussion was a man by the name of Christian Anderson. Christian Anderson wrote Anthony Fauci an email. We have that email saying, we got a problem here. This does appear to be uh, artificial, man-made, lab-made. Fauci said, don't say anything more. We're going to have a conference call. A couple of days after the conference call, a letter gets published, an open letter gets published um, in the, uh, I believe it was in the Lancet. And, and so this is an odd behavior in the first place because that's not what the Lancet does, but it basically said everyone who believes or is going to suggest that this has anything other than a natural origin and the whole natural origin story has been completely blown away. It it just, they have not been able to find the original bat, uh, which is too far south. They've not, they've, they said it was a pangolin in a market. They haven't been able to find that. So we're saying that... Uh... This is an important moment in the pandemic history. And Christian Anderson's memo, which got buried. Well, Christian, where I was going there was Christian memo. Christian signed the letter. Yeah. Like he signed had letter. private concerns, but later, and, and to this day, by the way, he's hostile, hostile to anybody who suggests the opposite. So should Anthony Fauci have been hostile to him? Well, I, you know, Anthony Fauci controls a large pool of money. And this area, the government is heavily invested in science in a number of different areas. The area where the, the ratio of public to private spending, where the public spending is the highest, happens to be in immunology, the area that Anthony Fauci governs. So Anthony Fauci is a man that holds purse strings and basically the careers of people in, his, in the palm of his hand. And there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an esprit de corps. Uh, there's, they're in the trenches together, right? They're yep, going to hang, yep. they're going to, other stereo, they're going to hang together. They're going to hang separately kind of thing. Not unlike Christian, the Pentagon, you know? Yes. And so Christian Anderson appears on the surface to have made a decision, but what did Anthony Fauci do to him to put him in that position? Anthony Fauci, as I explained, is at the nexus of both the lab leak where this all starts. And then he's also at the nexus of the, uh, of the selling of various policies by the government, particularly the selling of the vaccine, which appears to have been... Yep the aim or the goal-directed activity that was underlying most of this most of the time. And, and we don't know this stuff yet. We have to have, that's what truth and reconciliation is all about. We get all that stuff out on the surface. But I want to say one final thing here about this, about your question. And that is that justice has a, a, a value to it on top of somebody being brought to justice when they're actually guilty. And justice gives us the ability to hold, uh, to, to hold in our memory uh, this generation and future generations, everybody will know there's kind of an official statement that was completely adjudicated. And we have come to the conclusion that someone is responsible. Someone is guilty 
for for these things. And the less that lesson will be available to us historically speaking. And and we're about to do an episode on uh, on the history of U.S. interventions uh, with Perry Willis. That is taking history and using it in a heuristic fashion to learn for the future, so that you don't repeat the same mistakes. And so the number one value that comes out of pursuing justice in a hand, small handful of cases would be that uh, in the social piece that follows, we don't make the same deadly mistakes again. That's an awfully tall order for people who, and I'm generalizing here, so don't hate on me if you're listening to this, for people who have a tough time with honesty or with integrity. And in that Perry Willis episode, you can read history the way it actually happened, or you can read it from your own point of view. And when you find out that things actually happened and you start to reason from that place, stuff can change and it can be an existential threat to change your mind about those things, but it's necessary to do this right. And I respect what you're saying because I want the same objective. You know, we're gonna bring some people to justice and hopefully future generations are gonna learn from our process and from the outcomes. And, uh, I, you know, I want to be more hopeful about the Republicans that, are going to almost certainly going to do this wrong. Okay. Mm, yeah. And vengeance is the, is the order of the day. There's a lot yep. of people who want to get even for the way that they were silenced. And I, I just want to speak personally from the heart about where I'm coming from on this. I, I have motive here too. So in May of 2020, uh, my uncle who was like a second dad to me, my uncle Bob uh, fell and hit his head, uh, cracked it open. He was in his late 80s. He was perfectly fine and healthy and moving around. I mean, he was you know, driving and doing stuff. He was living his life, but he just slipped and fell. And we don't know exactly how. And when my aunt came out and found him in that condition, uh, they went to the, they, they lived in a Northeast Ohio in a, in a, in a country uh, area. And they ended up life lighting him to a Cleveland hospital, one of the big three hospital systems in Cleveland. And they had COVID policies in place. And Bill, they kept uh, my aunt, uh, Pat, from being able to access. I have her permission to tell this story publicly. They kept her from being able to access him. Uh, these are these two people were peas in a pod. Like, they did everything together. They If they had a short errand to run, they did it together. They, they went to the same things. They had the same friends. They enjoyed each other's company immensely. They just really loved each other. And the time they, th that was the longest period of time that they spent apart was the next six days. The hospital would not let her come in at all. They said it was a COVID yeah. regulation. Yeah. Okay. Here's the twist in the story. He went into a coma. He couldn't even talk to her because, you know, if you're, if, if, if people don't realize this, but falls are very dangerous to old people. And one of the things that's happening over the time of your, of your life is your brain is shrinking. Your skull's still there, but your brain's shrinking inside of it. So it can rattle more. And that's essentially what happened. It kind of detached. It kind of rattled around too much. There was too much damage to it, to his brain. And he couldn't, uh, he, he, he went into a coma, he lapsed into a coma. And uh, there was still some evidence that he had some sense of the world around him, but that started to disappear too. And all she could get was a twice daily update by talking to a nurse at the hospital or a doctor, but nobody would let her in. And the, the, metro, the, the, the hospital site, said explicitly on there that if somebody was debilitated and could not represent themselves, that they were allowed to have one close family member there. And we've, all of us were praying and desperately wanted her to be able to be by his side. And it was becoming apparent where this was going, but we still wanted her there uh, for her comfort and his. 
And so here's the twist in the story. They call her up on the phone and they say, we need you to come in. Uh, we want you to come visit Bob. She doesn't know why. She gets excited. She's going to be able to go in and see him. They said, bring your pastor with you. Well, that was kind of odd. So she said, okay, I'm going to, you know, naively, she said, I'm going to have my pastor come with me. And so they, so now it, it's not just one person, Bill, that can get in the hospital, which they weren't even allowing. It's two. And they both come in, senior citizens, both. And they come to the hospital. And the reason they were inviting them there was to tell them that they needed to pull the plug. God damn it. You, you, you couldn't let her into the hotel room all those days. I mean, into the hospital room all those days. Last moment. And now you're going to do this. And you can bring two all of a sudden. Screw you. And despite my feelings about this, which obviously are incredibly strong, I want all those people to acknowledge what they've done wrong, to have an opportunity to say, I'm sorry. In fact, I would like my aunt to get an apology, but I don't want to convict them. I don't want to prosecute them. I don't want to hold them in any other way accountable. Like, I don't want to punish. Forget punishment. I want healing. I want restoration of everybody. We can't go back and change what happened, but we can try to learn in a way so that this doesn't happen again.